Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Well, it is a great joy uh, once again to welcome our dear friend, our sister in Christ, the Reverend Aaron Clifford, as our preacher this morning. Uh, we uh, always enjoy having Aaron with us. Um, she is uh, a gifted preacher, teaches homiletics, and has taught homiletics. Is, uh, uh, right now, she's actually gone back to work for an organization that she worked for a while ago, back with the International Justice Mission, IJM. And if you don't know IJM, I encourage you to look them up online and learn about them, an incredible ministry that has been working for many, many years, uh, doing work all around the world to basically uh, apply the laws that are on the books uh, to end things like human trafficking and slavery and bond servanthood and all manner and variety of evils that are around the world. Um, and bringing the love of Jesus uh, right into the legal uh, world. Um, and so she is working with them as a director and helping them organize their annual prayer gathering that they have of all their ministers from around the world. Um, and it's a great privilege to have her here with us to preach God's word. So welcome, Aaron. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Uh, we were joking that we, uh, I looked up on my calendar the last time I was here, and it was last February. So there must be something that happens internally in me that says in February, go to South Carolina. Go to South Carolina. Uh, I live in Washington, D.C., and I do believe it's going to snow there today. So I'm very grateful to be here. Someone apologized for the weather, and I said, don't apologize. This is wonderful. No, it's great to be with you. It's great to be back. Some of you also joined us, I think, for our online class about the names of God. So it's just fun. Every time I come back, I see faces I recognize, and it's really lovely to get to fellowship with you and see what God is doing here in Charleston and at the church, and God is up to a lot. As one of my professors uh, used to say in seminary, God is certainly busy. <laughs> God is certainly busy. God is always busy. God is always doing things as well in the unseen. Tomorrow. What is tomorrow? Is there anything going on tomorrow? Hmm, let me check my calendar. Valentine's Day, right? Okay, Valentine's Day. You probably couldn't miss it in the CVS or somewhere. We pulled up from the airport and I kept passing groups of girls in like pink and red outfits. I felt like I had forgotten my pink or my red outfit. Um, so it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. And I've been laughing about it when I um, opened up the passages for the lectionary for this Sunday because they're about the heart. <laughs> now, I don't think the lectionary, don't think the lectionary is actually coordinating with Valentine's Day, okay? But it is helpful when what's happening in the lectionary also speaks to what we're thinking about as a culture. And in this time of year, we see hearts everywhere, and we're thinking about hearts. But the Bible, when it talks about the heart, doesn't mean what we think when we think about the heart. When someone talks about their heart, they're maybe thinking of the center of where love comes from. They're probably tying it up with a lot of emotions. This is where our feelings are. But when the Bible talks about the heart, and it does hundreds and hundreds of times, so often that we might miss it. We might not notice what the Bible is trying to teach us about the heart. But Scripture tends to say that we have these three parts that make up ourselves. One is the body, another is the spirit, and another is the soul. 
And again, we can debate this theologically. There's lots of versions of this. But for this morning, let's think of those three, the body, the soul, the spirit. And within the soul is where our heart lives. And the soul, where our heart lives, is the place of not just our emotions, sure, our feelings, but it's also the place of the will. I call it the location of choice, where our volition lives, the part of us that chooses to do this thing or chooses to do that thing. So when the Bible talks about the heart being corrupt or loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's talking about from your very core, from the center of who you are, from the place where you make everyday choices about how you will live and what you will think about. And the other thing I love about these passages today, the Jeremiah passage, which was read so beautifully. Everything is better with a British accent, isn't it? Um, I loved it. Jeremiah said, you know, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, Jeremiah has actually already been talking about the heart. Here we are in chapter 17, but if we'd been reading all the chapters together, we would have gone, yeah, yeah, the heart's deceitful, yeah, yeah, because he will have said this multiple times already, actually. In chapter 4 and 5, he spoke about Judah, about the people of God. He said, Judah's heart is in need of a circumcision. In chapter 5, he says, the people are senseless and, quote, without heart. And then in chapters 5, 7, 9, and 11, he says that they are stubborn people with rebellious hearts. So he's got a message that he's been on for quite some time. It's a very serious thing that he's saying to the people of God. Because the people of Judah had gone astray. The people of Judah had decided, we're still worship Yahweh, but we'd also like to worship this other uh, God that we've created. And in fact, many historians have found evidence that they set these two images up next to each other, one to worship Yahweh, one altar, and the other altar next to it being another God that they'd created. So he says, this is serious stuff. So when he's saying that, that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? And then says to them, the Lord searches the heart and examines the mind to reward each person according to their conduct. That God cares about the positions of our hearts. He cares what we're choosing. I don't always find that the lectionaries every Sunday all kind of go together. <laughs> and if you've been preaching for a long time, you'll realize sometimes you feel there's a tangential connection between some of them. But this Sunday, it's very obvious. You've got, here you've got Jeremiah talking about Blessed is the man who does this. Cursed is the man who does this. And then you've got the psalm which says, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, right? And cursed is the man who sits in the seat of scoffers. And then you've got the Luke passage where Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn. Cursed are those who are rich and full. So you see this pattern all through these scriptures of blessings and curses, blessings and curses. And this starts really in Deuteronomy. And as you notice through the Bible, when you see these passages, blessed is the person or cursed is the person, sometimes I think it goes over our heads a little. Because we're like, this is very old language, Aaron. Blessings and curses, what does this have to do with anything? I don't even understand why this has to do with my life. So I want you to try to set aside the words blessings and curses and how it might not feel as like the normal language you would use at a dinner party. At least I hope not, because <laughs> that could be very awkward. And people already think Christians are weird, so please don't do that. But blessed and curses, I want you to think what the scripture is saying is, blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord. 
That's the phrase you'll hear over and over again in different forms. Blessed is the person who chooses this. Blessed is the person who chooses to trust in the Lord. And then a summary of those curses is curses is the man or foolish is the man, you might hear it said in scripture, who trusts in themselves. Or as Jeremiah says here, who trusts in the flesh who trusts in other human beings or trusts in their own ability to solve a problem or fix a problem. Jeremiah knows that we as human beings come into places where we're in tight spots, where maybe we're suffering or someone around us is suffering and we wanna fix it, don't we? And we usually wanna fix it because we love the person or because we care about the situation or because it's happening to us and we usually care a lot about that and we really wanna fix that. And Jeremiah is saying in those moments, in fact, all of scripture is saying that's a very human place to be, but in those moments, this is where your heart starts to choose. What will I trust in those moments? Will I trust in the Lord or will I trust in my own self-sufficiency? Will I trust in the Lord to provide or will I trust in what's often the lie of the enemy that says God has left you? You're alone. You're going to have to fend for yourself. How will my heart, what will be the posture of my heart in those moments? In Luke, Jesus says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We see over and over again this image that our heart is like a well like a stream and what comes out of our mouths or the way we behave comes from this sort of center, this conscience, the center of will, center of our volition. And that's why I think in Proverbs 4, it says to us, above all else, it says, drop what you're doing. Above all else, guard your heart for everything flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. Above all else, Proverbs 4, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That image reminds me of a couple of years ago when South Africa was having its drought. You may remember this. A few years ago, they were in dire need of water. As a country, they were running out of water. And there was an image on the front of uh, the newspaper I was reading that showed these guards with huge machine guns guarding sources of water around the country. So they posted these guards, the military, to guard these sections of water because they were in a state of emergency. And it made me think about guarding our hearts, guarding, as Proverbs would said, this place that is the wellspring of life. It's worth guarding. When we think about guarding our hearts, I think of keeping your guard up, which is ultimately a boxing term, right? So in boxing, you keep your guard up, you keep your hands in front of your face, you're protecting your face. And letting your guard down is to drop your hands, right? And then your face is vulnerable to your opponent. So you wanna keep your guard up. And I think there's the same spiritual sense that God encourages us to keep our guards up. Not against people, not against other human beings, but against the enemy. There is a battle for our hearts, for our will, for our choices. And Jesus is saying, be wise. Keep your guard up. You're actually in a battle all the time in the unseen. Keep your guard up. So I want to offer a couple of practical ways this morning to keep our guards up. 
as we guard our hearts. The first is, well, the first I toyed with two, two titles, so I'm going to give them both to you. The first is I was either going to call it Listen to Your Body, or I was going to call it Don't Underestimate the Power of a Nap and a Good Meal. <laughs> so whichever of those hits you this morning, listen to your body. Don't underestimate the power of a nap and a good meal. The heart is the volition center, right? The place that our choices are made. In our Anglican service, we pray over and over again, especially in the communion part of our service. We pray for the protection and the provision of our bodies and our souls, our bodies and our souls. We don't believe in the separation that the body doesn't matter, that it's only our soul that matters. No, we believe our body is a gift. From God, it matters. And so our body is as much affected by what's happening in our heart as our soul is. And when I think about someone who's let their guard down, I think of Elijah. Elijah in 1 Kings, he's running from Jezebel. He's on the run for his life. He leaves his servant. He says, don't even come with me. I'm going alone, which sometimes we do when we're suffering and it's never a good idea. We, we leave our community behind and then we say, God, I'm so alone. Even Elijah says that in this. He says, God, I'm all alone. And his servant is back there going, well, you told me to stay here. <laughs> he told me to stay here. But Elijah is on his own, and he's begging the Lord, it says. He says, I've had enough. Just let me die. I'm no better off than my ancestors. And he laid down in the shade, and he fell asleep. I think this is actually one of the moments in Scripture where we see someone who's actually struggling with depression. Right? He doesn't want to live anymore. And so suddenly, an angel wakes him up and says, get up and eat. And Elijah looks around, and by his head is some water and also some bread. So he sits up, he eats and drinks, and then he lays down and goes back to sleep. <laughs> so then the angel wakes him up again and says, get up and eat. Get up and eat, or else you'll be too tired to travel. So Elijah sits up, eats and drinks, and then it says he has enough energy to travel all the way to Mount Sinai and meet with God. And that's where we know the story of the God, God's presence passing before him. He has this amazing encounter with God. But he couldn't have gotten there. He couldn't have heard God or recognized God's presence, I think, if he hadn't rested and eaten. It's such a human part of the story, but I think it's God reminding us that often where our guard comes down over our hearts and where we're really, um, we're really vulnerable to the enemies, lies particularly, is when we're not taking care of ourselves. There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. It's actually a book about counseling those who've been through trauma. And this psychologist talks about the fact that with trauma, we often forget the memories of the event itself, but our body remembers. And so a lot of people don't even know they've been through a trauma until they, something triggers it and in their body, they have a reaction. And then they have to go back through counseling and remember what it actually was that happened. And I think this happens to all of us. If you this morning are someone who has trouble expressing your emotions, maybe they feel quite far away, quite out of reach often, even more, you're likely to be someone who first feels it in their body. Because it's going on inside of you and, it, and your body's trying to say it to you, but if your emotions aren't always there and as accessible, you probably feel it in your body. Backaches, stress, headaches, anxiety. These things will come up and then the question is, oh, what am I actually feeling? <laughs> The body keeps the score. I love this quote by Maya Angelou. She says, I think when we don't know what to do, it's wise to do nothing. Sit down quietly. Quiet our hearts and minds and breathe deeply. 
breathe deeply. Sometimes guarding our hearts is actually about our physical body. So listen to your body. Don't underestimate the power of a nap and a good meal. Second, when guarding your heart, check under the house. Check under the house. Matthew 15, Jesus says, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these things defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, and the list goes on and on and on. He's saying it comes out of the heart, but we don't always know and check our hearts. And we live out of these places that need healing and restoration. I live in a house on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. I can actually see the Capitol building from, the, from my front yard. <laughs> and I love living on that area of the hill because it's very historic. It's also the reason I love walking around Charleston and looking at all the beautiful architecture. I'm an architecture nut. And um, I love my old house. But when I first bought it, I used to love to sit out on the back porch when it's not really, really hot like it is here in the summer. I'd sit out on the back porch when I first bought it. And I noticed there were a lot of mosquitoes. And if you know mosquitoes, which I know you do here in Charleston, <laughs> mosquitoes are territorial. They tend to stay in the same place. So if you can get rid of them in that place, if you can spray for them, et cetera, it tends to help and they get rid of them. There were so many mosquitoes and I kept spraying and I kept doing other things like, you know, little citronella candles that were no match <laughs> for the hundreds of mosquitoes that were there. So finally, I thought, where are these coming from? I crawled underneath my porch in this kind of crawl space, which I hadn't totally investigated when I bought the house. And underneath this crawl space under my porch were two big Tupperware bins. And Tupperware bins with lids that had basically puddles of water, a couple inches, <laughs> sitting in them. And many of you may know that's, ex that's the mosquito Shangri-La. They thought they'd arrived, you know. They were like, this is the best. They'd been living in there and breeding in there for a long time. Checking what's under the house is a part of guarding our hearts. What is happening in your heart this morning? How is your heart's posture towards God this morning? Or towards your neighbor? Or towards the church? What is the posture of your heart this morning? Jeremiah says that he repeats this, the corruption of the heart. He's showing the seriousness of the state of Judah's heart. And one thing that we actually lose in this passage, in this contemporary culture, is we're very individualistic today. So when I say check your heart, you're probably thinking personally, your own heart, just you. Where are you? What are you thinking about? But we lose a, a huge understanding of the society at the time, of the people of God. They would also be thinking about their corporate heart, the heart of the whole society. As we see all through the Old Testament, the justice of the whole society spoke to their holiness and righteousness as individuals. There was a sense that the Old Testament understood that what we do as individuals affects the greater society, but also what we choose to do as a whole society can be sinful and unjust. One theologian said about this Jeremiah passage, he said the discussion of corporate human failure has waned today in our society. He says, among the places where we might start this conversation again is the prevalence of addicted behavior, of racism, of random violence. All three of these phenomenon in Western societies are symptomatic of larger issues of human existence. 
societal sin, he would say, and they stand under the judgment of God's word. Nevertheless, they defy easy explanation or care. They're irrational, if you think about it, and they lead to more of the same in spirals of self-destruction. Just like we can get in a spiral of self-destruction as individuals in our own struggles with sin, we can do that as a whole society. Jeremiah was saying the society's heart was corrupt. He wanted them to check under the house, check what your actions and words are flowing from. And then lastly, keep one foot in the water. Another way to guard your heart is to keep one foot in the water. And by water, I mean the presence of God. Psalm 1, as we uh, said here, is kind of in parallel with Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah is basically quoting a huge chunk of Psalm 1. So that's your homework if you're a Bible nerd like me, is to go home and put Jeremiah 17 next to Psalm 1 and look at all these parallels. But Jeremiah is bringing up again this idea of trusting in God versus trusting in themselves. Blessed is the one who trusts and delights in the law of the Lord. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever it does prospers. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. When I first looked at this passage and was studying some of it in the Hebrew, I'd never noticed before that the tree planted by water actually means the tree transplanted by water. This person who delights in the Lord, this person who's blessed is a person who picks themselves up and moves to the water. <laughs> they transplant themselves by streams of water. Some of us think, you know, we read that passage and we think, well, Aaron, I'm not living by a stream of water or... <laughs> No, they pick themselves up. They transplant themselves. Because again, it's about volition, right? It's about choice and will. God is gracious enough not to make us puppets, but to give us choices. And God's saying, you have this choice every day to pick yourself up, pick your heart up, and move closer to the water. Transplant yourself by living water so that no matter the season you go through, your leaves will not wither or fade. Everything you do will prosper. I always think about this with the SEALs, the Navy SEALs, that is. I don't know if I said this morning Navy SEALs, and I think they may have thought I was talking about animals, um, but Navy SEALs, there's a the secret to why the Navy SEALs are so successful that they can sort of defy, um, you know, whatever comes against them no matter where they are is because in their training, they're trained to always know where the nearest water is where the water is closest to them so they can retreat back into the water, escape or attack from or back into the water. And I think as believers, we're called to know where the water is, at all times to know where the access to the presence of God is. Are you planting yourself by living water? Are you staying close to the river of living water? When we look at this question by Jeremiah, when he says, well, the heart's corrupted, it's evil, who's going to fix it? And you sort of feel like he's like, I don't know. You know, and you're like, thanks, Jeremiah. <laughs> this is very encouraging. But we know that the answer to the restoration of our hearts is not striving. It's not trying to just check a box or become a better person or something like that. It's actually asking God to renew our hearts. 
the promise from the younger prophet in Jeremiah's time was the promise that God would actually give us a new heart. That when Christ came, we would receive a new heart and a new spirit. The restoration of the heart, as we sang this morning, you know, we will feast in the house of Zion, our hearts restored. He has done great things. It's the work of Christ to renew our hearts. And so this morning as we head into Valentine's Day, as we're, as we're bombarded by people in pink and red and, and hearts everywhere and things on sale at CVS, you know, heart candies on sale probably as of tomorrow, I want us to be reminded as we see these images of this heart everywhere that our heart is an important part of who we are and is also a place that God wants to restore. So this morning as we check under the hood, as we take note of our bodies and guarding our hearts, and as we look to keep one foot near the water, near his presence, may we remember again that this is an invitation from God. God says, don't worry about the posture of your heart today if it's far from me. This is a new day. My mercies are new every morning. Come to me as a church, as a nation, as individual people, and let me restore your heart. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much that your presence is always accessible to us. Lord, even as we move into our communion time and our time of confession, we bring to you our hearts. We thank you that you do search our hearts and minds. We thank you that this side of the cross, we have nothing to fear as you search our hearts and minds. Because where conviction comes, so does renewal. So does the chance for restoration. So does the chance for repentance, for starting again. We thank you, God, that your mercies are new every morning. We receive your grace and mercy being offered to us this morning that you might change our hearts, God. Make our hearts more like you. That we might praise you and thank you as a church, as a nation, as a people. In Jesus' name, amen.